Good evening, folks, and welcome to Alien Addict. I have not got my cap tonight. It's somewhere one of my children hid it. How are we all diddling on this fine and very blue evening? Because it is a blue evening, because we got not because of the swearing and the cursing, whatever you guys call it, but because we're going to talk a bit of the you know the old the old blue beam. And it's a weird one this evening because I don't know if you remember the last show, but uh, Black Star Paranormal he was speaking about some of his friends that are doing things for NASA. Well, we actually have a NASA guy below, and I'm going to bring him up in a second, right after we've brought my good blue buddy. Hi. Hey, I'm loving how you've got the, the, the blueness. I themed it, themed it for this, and I quite like blue, so. And your new drums. And new drums. You just wanted to show us your yeah. drums. There's drums there. I can kind of use those. There's a piano there. I can't use that. Rich. Hey. That now has a UFO channel. Yeah. That is in the description, people. Go check it out. And and you don't have an intro. You've got more than just an intro video out now as well. It was a great video at that. Um, Thank you. Blackstar Paranormal. Hello. Where's the logo? You don't even have a logo. You don't even have no face, no logo, nothing. (sighs) Yeah, not, not 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 my normal uh, not my normal setup this time. Still on vacation. You are still on vacation, but you are going to be back in the studio soon, and we'll have you on when you've got all your setup. Indeed, your Indeed. ridiculously good audio. Um, <laughs> and the most hated man in ufology. I didn't <laughs> want him on tonight. He just he just he forced his way in. He forced his way in, but he's going to destroy me. Oh, he's he's he's, he's quickly got rid of his face. Yeah. Rich, yeah. Rich, yeah. Oh, hey, there you are. I'm not the most hated. Second, 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 mm. second most hated person in ufology. Yeah, yeah. Who's most? Yeah, yeah. I I don't <laughs> know. It's a tough I mountain. Know. I don't know. Special guest tonight, boys. Special guest. We got the NASA guy. Hey, hey everybody. James Owens, so, welcome hey, to the show. And prosper. You so. chose a, a beauty to come on to tonight. You know, it's <laughs> it's Project Bluebeam. Uh, right. So, a little bit first, a little introduction from 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 yourself. So, so what actually do you do for NASA? Uh, design engineering. So I've been mostly mechanical design, uh, sometimes integration. Uh, primarily launch vehicles, but I worked on International Space Station, uh, uh, Ares 1, which got canceled, uh, and uh, now currently on SLS. I'm also working part-time on uh, lunar habitat design and uh, Mars transit habitat design, so uh, getting a little bit of, little bit of everything in there. Uh, did a nuclear spacecraft uh, some years ago that was supposed to go around and orbit Jupiter. Got to work on that for a while. Um, that never actually occurred. Uh, now they're getting much more serious about nuclear spacecraft, though. So we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. How does one get into the whole NASA thing? You know? Well, for me, I got a degree in aerospace engineering. 
because um, it was kind of what I always wanted to do. I, you know, Star Trek fan from from birth, probably. Uh, and I always wanted to build spaceships. So <laughs> uh, I got incredibly lucky when I came out of college. There was no jobs and I delivered pizza for a year and a half. And uh, my wife kind of nudged me into putting out more resumes than I had. And I, uh, uh, 328 resumes later, got a job at uh, McDonnell Douglas, which doesn't exist anymore, but it's part of Boeing now and uh, working on the International Space Station. So I did that for uh, a few years and then um, got over uh, at uh, Marshall Space Flight Center with uh, with a NASA uh, support contract. So. Right. So you've got to have you've got to have a, a good head on your shoulders to to do this. Yes, yeah, uh, I mean to do I the NASA. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and they let you come on conspiracy shows. Uh, well, the, the disclaimer: I'm I'm representing myself and not NASA in any way. So uh, all my opinions are my own, and that's all there is to it. There you go. I I, I like that. A NASA guy with huge testicles. <laughs> <laughs> I did get a chance to speak at uh, Dragon Con. We have a space track at Dragon Con. I've done that a couple of years and uh, done some universities and other things. So, Well, enough of me. I'm sure the panel's got, you know, plenty of questions for you. We're we definitely going to get onto the blue bean because I want to ask if I've got, there's, a, there's a lot sure. you could probably add to the table and maybe disprove when it comes to that. But I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people that want to ask a NASA guy about UFOs. All right, I'm game. Let's start with the most hated man no. in ufology. Go on, Rich, come on, you, you're dying to. You've got that. I don't I, have I, any questions yet. <laughs> there hasn't been any content. Go to Rich. Oh, Rich, the other Rich. That's the one you mean. Okay. He's got his hand up. It's so polite. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, James, uh, nice to meet you. Uh, nice one of. One of the things that we uh, we hear about all the time is the performance of the Tic Tac in terms of you know rapid changing in directions mm. and uh, uh, moving from space to air and underwater back out again. This is what they're talking about: hypersonic velocities. Let's ignore the without sonic booms thing because right. we know there's 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 things that try to do that that NASA's doing, but uh, right, yeah. Low so, demonstrator, yeah. So, w what crosses my mind is though, when talking about the standard of engineering to build an object that would do that kind of thing, you know, the tolerances that are involved and the materials to deal with those kind of stresses. Do we have any materials at the moment, or or any engineering techniques that would allow a craft to even stand that kind of thing? I mean, I'm not just talking about the thrust or anything like that, but um, do we do about... we have anything? Yeah. Um, there's there's a lot of materials out there that are um, you know we, we're getting better at material science all the time. Um, some some very interesting alloys. Um, we're using a uh, aluminum lithium alloy that's uh, you know a good bit stronger than a, than a typical aluminum alloy, uh, but uh, I would think for for anything like what you're talking about, is we're going to end up with some kind of carbon fiber composites. Um, those those kinds of things have a lot of uh, a lot of stress resistance for the for the weight that you get. Mm -hmm. So um, 
I would think if you had if we had anything that could do what you're talking about, it would be uh, certainly in the carbon fiber uh, uh, type of regime rather than the metallics. Metallics are great if you're if you're trying to dissipate heat uh, because carbon fiber is terrible at that. Uh, but uh, that's why you see the Starship, for instance, uh, the SpaceX Starship is made of stainless steel. Well, that's because it's great at dissipating heat. And that's one thing that's super important uh, for them because they're reusing that vehicle, uh, going to orbit, coming back down. And, and, and that's that, their plan. And so it's got to be able to withstand a lot of cycling, uh, that, that thermal uh, uh, between, you know, re-entry heating and that sort of thing. So, And anything about ceramics? Or anything like that yeah there's a lot of ceramics out there um uh if you haven't haven't looked into aluminum oxynitride that one's an interesting one it's uh it's it's transparent basically transparent aluminum but uh, it doesn't have the ductility that you know you think of when you think of a metal but it is uh transparent it's great for uh bulletproof uh materials um I, you know i could see some uh if, if you certainly if you wanted to have a transparent structure that would be one way you could do it um I don't know how um, how easy it is to construct together, you know, because you're you're basically with that kind of material, you're ending up uh, clamping it or something like that in order to get it into position. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So you can't just weld it into a, a plate, for instance. So that's a, uh, there, there's some there's some processes that would be required. Other ceramics, perhaps there's there's a there's a great deal of work in ceramics that I don't know much about. Uh, so. Uh, it's quite possible there's a material that could handle that, but uh, Brilliant. I'm not directly so, aware of it. So what what you're saying is that uh, hopefully you're saying is is that that it could be possible to make a tic tac structurally, uh, whether we've got the the kind of um, engine or the thrust or 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 whatever we would use to create the lift. Um, that's not available for us but definitely we could build something that would withstand the pressures yeah um yeah i would think so and i mean it depends on the uh, of course you know where it depends on how fast you're 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 making that maneuver how much g mm -hmm. you know what we call g load uh mm -hmm. that you get on that um and, and it also depends on yeah. the size of the structure smaller structures that's going to be easier to do you know mm -hmm. you start building something the size of a starship for instance uh, then it gets to be, you know, pretty problematic to, to take that kind of G-loading, I would think. But uh, but for smaller structures, I don't see why you couldn't. Cool. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Let's appreciate that. Cheers. Yep. What did you make of the footage, James, that has, has been out? I mean, you must have seen the, the Tic Tac footage, the, the, you know, the, heard the Fravers uh, events, um with, with the Tic Tacs and what have you, what, what do you make of all that? The actual footage itself, what do you um, think of that? Now, I mean, I've seen the stuff that's been, you know, uh, presented to Congress, for instance, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, it, it's, it's really hard to tell, you know, we're looking at lights, lights move around. Uh, it, it could just be, you know, some kind of, you know, lighting thing. I, it's, it's really hard to tell from 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 the footage that I've seen anyway. I, maybe there's some more out there that I'm not aware of, but um, it's it's pretty you're, not impre you're not impressed. Uh, you know, there's nothing that makes me jump up and go, oh, my God, it's really aliens. <laughs> you know, 
I can't say that it absolutely can't be, but uh, it's it's not as compelling as as I I think it's I think it's promising that it's out there in the open. I, I think that part is really promising. Um, beyond that, I don't, I don't know. You know, they they saw something, I, and I don't doubt that those those pilots saw something, but uh, I don't know. I know they don't know what they saw. And I don't know what they saw. So outside of that, uh, yeah, it's hard to make a judgment on it. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. I don't think anybody can make a judgment on it, but some people do. Of course. So uh, the fascinating thing about this at the moment is, yeah, we've got Bill Nelson coming on and saying that, that NASA's coming in. They're going to start... Uh, um, evaluating the information that they need to uh, monitor UAP, which is great. Um, mm. he, he does seem to s suggest, though, that this is the first time that they've they've looked into an identified aerial phenomenon. Uh, and there's a lot of people on Twitter at the moment saying that that, that can't be the case. Uh, do you know for a fact whether the, there has been any uh, efforts by NASA to do this? Prior to this, I am not aware of any. Uh, now, of course, I wouldn't be. So if they have done it, it's going to be significantly more classified than I would have seen. So uh, that's that's what you do with classified information. You always um, you only let need to know people know. Right. Mm -hmm. So and often uh, when you're involved in a classified situation, you don't even have the whole picture. You have a small piece of it so that. If you are compromised for some reason, you can't spill the whole beans, right? So, um, there, you know, it's it's possible someone you know could easily have worked on a project for this and not realize that's what they were doing. So, I, uh, I, I personally think that that's been limited to Department of Defense um, because uh, because it's easier to have a classified program that people don't talk about. At, at DOD than it is at NASA because, you know, NASA tends to be, you know, Freedom of Information Act, open information, you know, uh, all of our reports tend to be published on the NASA technical report server. Uh, so, you, you know, anybody can download them. So uh, real hard to be tightly classified on the NASA side. Yeah, I mean, if, if these things are up there and flying around, like if, if they're real, the NASA must have been uh, picking these things up on um, like radar or the, the the amount of countless things you see in like anomalies. Or like if the, the, I mean, these hours of YouTube footage, isn't there, of like anomalies in NASA footage? Because I, I read the same thing recently this afternoon. And the first thing I thought was that that's like the idea that a park ranger on the Serengeti, Serengeti would suddenly start sort of saying, yeah, we're going to start acknowledging zebras from now on. We've never really looked at them before. <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're going to acknowledge them as a real thing. Well, I mean, uh, I know that there are reports from astronauts that have, you know, felt like they had seen things, um, you know, uh, stuff that, uh, didn't you know? Didn't really know what they're looking at. Um, 
again, we get, you know, in low Earth orbit, you get all sorts of debris, you get uh, ice chunks uh, from you know, all, all sorts of crazy things that can reflect sunlight. And uh, <laughs> I'll tell you guys a funny story. When I, uh, we were putting together the space station, I was, uh, I was on the engineering console uh, on the ground, of course. And um, uh, we were looking at a uh, cover uh, that the, the, their rings that attach two segments together that have to have to be, you know, perfect in order to form a seal and these in the common birthing mechanism, they call it. And so this thing seals the two pressurized elements together and those have to last for, well, for since it's been launched. So over 20 years now. Um, so when they're putting these things together, they have to have a thermal standoff time because uh, since there's no air to regulate the temperature between the two, you want those, uh, the temperature to um, equalize between the two sides so that the seal will, will seat properly. So there's a four hour thermal standoff where these things are just sitting facing each other, you know, at a certain distance for four hours to allow the radiation to equalize the temperature. During that time, we, we do a survey of, every, of all the pictures that have been taken in that area just to make sure there's no debris or something else that could be weird about this thing so they, so they might not made up properly. Well, one day, there were these weird white circles all over one of the rings in, in three of the pictures, just three, only three images. And, you know, you got this nice, supposed to be super smooth surface, and it's got all these weird mottled uh, blotches on it. Looks like somebody left bubble wrap on it or something, right? And they went through, what could it be? You know, is all these things, you know, could have been in the manufacturing process. Could somebody have left bubble wrap on it? Uh, could it be a, a circular uh, grinding pattern or something to cause corrosion? And, and it went back and forth for two of the four hours. Uh, and then uh, somebody came up with the idea that, oh, look, this thermal cover that's right next to this, that they, that they have to open up in order for these things to, to made up. It's just, it's just there for launch. Basically this thermal cover has rivets on it. And the way the sunlight was hitting at just the right angle, it was reflecting off of these rivets onto the surface and creating this strange circular pattern all across the surface. <laughs> and they they managed to convince the the management that that's what was going on. It was just this just this pattern of uh, um, uh, of light, you know, mm -hmm. on the surface that caused that. So, uh, pretty interesting um, to, stuff to me. Um, and, and, and the, the thing sealed fine and it's never leaked. So I guess that's what it was. <laughs> Do you know, there's a funny question here for, here for you. Um, okay. Is there anything that you're forbidden to talk about? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> that's can an interesting you, question. Can you talk about it? Well, that's um, a yes or no, isn't it? It's, now, so I have worked for Department of Energy before, too, uh, I, for a brief stint between NASA and NASA. I, I worked uh, for about uh, about eight years uh, on a uranium processing facility in Oak Ridge. So I really can't talk about that uh, beyond, you know, what's publicly available. So, you know, we built equipment that allowed people to handle uranium safely. 
And I'm really not supposed to go into a whole lot of detail beyond that. Uh, but that was a different environment. And it, at NASA, the work that I do is uh, strictly uh, unclassified stuff. So, I mean, I'm not even required to have anything uh, above a basic public trust clearance for the job I do. So, um, right. if I, now that being said, I do have, you know, engineering details that are considered uh, trade and arms regulations the, that I wouldn't be able to, to discuss in, in detail, like how an engine is designed or um, even, even uh, the tank pressures we use and mix ratios on engines and things like that would probably be forbidden. Um, uh, although you could probably get most of it from Wikipedia and other sources. So um, Encyclopedia Astronautica has a lot of stuff, especially on historical engines, for instance. Um, so it's not exactly classified, but it's, uh, you know. You don't want the information getting in the wrong hands, you know. Right, right. There's a million dollar fine involved if, uh, <laughs> if, I, if I let ITAR secrets out to, the, to uh, an international audience, so. Yeah, thanks for that, Jennifer. Great question. I appreciate that. Um, so the show, and I'm sure people are going to break off and ask about other things, but before the show, I spoke to you briefly about uh, Bluebeam. You said you've heard of Blue Book, but not you've never heard of Project Bluebeam. I think I've heard of it, but I don't know any details, so we'll, we'll, I'll go with that. So my, my brother's more of a ufologist than I am, so. Right. Uh, so, so Project Bluebeam is that the, the if they wanted to, they they could fake uh, the the say the coming of Christ mm. or I an alien invasion. I think it's worth notice uh, noting that Bluebeam was a declassified uh, thing that, that that came out, wasn't it? With where um, I think the the idea was that in on foreign countries that the US was involved with you could project some sort of deity over that that area to uh, so that that was the where it's where it sort of came from are they using a microwave projection of some kind yep. no idea i've seen some was stuff it? on uh uh basically creating essentially a hologram with microwaves so <laughs> uh, using beam interference yeah, yeah they, sorry, Rich. No, you go, they, Rich. They they were talking. They were the conspiracy was by Serge Monast. Uh, he was the one that brought it to uh, air back in the nineteen nineties. And uh, what he said was that there was Project Bluebeam was was uh, between the defense and NASA. And what they would do is is NASA would. Uh, uh, use uh, satellites, drones, etc., to uh, project deities into the sky, and also to um, uh, transmit uh, into, into actually directly into people's eardrums. You know, uh, in the languages of the uh, in the predominant language of their country. Uh, you know, as though as though their god was speaking to them. And it would be used as a way to bring a uh, a country or a nation uh, under control quickly. Uh, so, so that was the conspiracy theory, and and it came out a little bit later. They started talking about 
uh, alien invasion and and that kind of thing as well you know so the whole idea was it, it was either going to be used to unite people against an enemy or to or to bring them under uh, religious control yeah and stephen greer speaks about the false alien invasion mm. a lot so now, now okay. you see where we, we get we get the NASA thing in this, and um, right. I'm, I'm hoping you can give us your your opinion of this. Well, I'm skeptical on a lot of fronts. Uh, <laughs> I'll start with that. Um, first of all, I'm unaware of any technology that would allow us to just mass broadcast a voice into someone's ear. Uh, I mean, obviously, the you know changing it to their language that's easy, but how do I get it from a satellite to somebody's ear? Um, We've been doing that uh, on a smaller scale for quite a long time, haven't we? Even, well, even back in the um, early 2000s, I remember there was a, a TV show. It was it was something like Ghost Hunters, but it was uh, like one of these History Channel type things. Mm-hmm. And they had a, a billboard set up somewhere in a city and using um oh it, it was the same sound technology i think which which turns like the bone in the back of your ear into a speaker so you so you're essentially sending it to that to vibrate and they were sending um like ghost moans and voices at, at, into people as they walk past this billboard is like a an advertising thing and that was okay. that was like but, yeah you're talking about subharmonics that that can be transmitted through air yeah, yeah. over short distances mm-hmm. um but that's a that is a different technology than being able to do it from a satellite in orbit where there isn't any air mm-hmm. um yeah. maybe combined with some kind of the... ground system perhaps yeah but maybe i i don't know um that would be that'd be a stretch uh you, you know a limited area you know a small number of people perhaps uh being able to do like an entire country uh, without without significant access to that country to set up mm-hmm. the hardware mm-hmm. i don't know I'm not sure how you would pull that off yep very far-fetched so, that's what i thought as well <laughs> um as far as the holographic technology projecting the image maybe that's possible um like i said i've seen some work in the microwave uh you know you, you've got invisible beams that beam at each other but they perform it they they form an interference pattern at the places where they cross and so you see that as a visible dot uh, because that interference happens to be in our visible frequency that we can see. So, you know, using uh, constructive interference the same way you hear in music, harmonics and music are constructive interferences, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so that's the same idea there w- with light, but you'd have to have, uh, again, pretty significant amount of power to do this and a, a fairly decent setup. Um, whether it could be done from orbit again would be questionable because microwaves tend to get filtered out by uh, clouds and water vapor in the air uh, pretty quickly. So that would be pretty tough, pretty tough to, uh, to do from orbit. What about laser induced plasmas? Maybe uh, I'm not an expert in that field by any means, but, but maybe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. 
but it's, but it's interesting. It's interesting to say maybe with uh, the induced plasmas because you were you talking about the the was it you, Rich, that mentioned about the Tic Tac being laser could, could possibly be laser induced yeah, plasmas? It's one of the things that people have been floating as as a uh, possible. So so the pilots were saying that they were seeing something. It was it was uh, white. It was uh, oval, stroke tic tac shaped, you know, mm. and it, and it moved very very quickly. Uh, some people are talking about uh, this not being alien of any kind, but perhaps a a countermeasure uh, that was involving using mm. um, uh, laser induced plasmas, whereby whereby they were seeing something that was under the water. And it was projecting a a tic tac like object, uh, and and obviously for it to change uh, direction very quickly, all you would need to do is just go boom like that. And if it was uh, um, the lasers were converged about two or three miles away, it would move instantaneously very fast, just like the pilot said it was. You know, so right. That's that's what people are talking about. Uh, that's uh, actually halfway plausible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm not aware of any technology that could, you know, the, the lasers that could do that at this point. But then again, uh, I wouldn't be, you know, obviously. <laughs> so that's Absolutely. that's certainly yeah, within yeah. the realm of, of plausibility. And yeah, it might not be lasers. It might be mazes as well. You know, things yeah. like that. Microwave amplification, etc. Cool. Can somebody help me with Ginger Steve's beautiful contribution there? Thank you, Ginger Steve. Uh, but I'm dyslexic oh, right. and that is okay. a bit long for me. With all the releases in the press and the Pentagon slowly releasing footage, guys, is it interdimensional or interstellar, made on Earth or just faked footage? The military is trying to increase funds. Uh, what's the things we see? It's interesting that we mentioned a uh, dimensional uh with with a with a nasa guy because i i want to ask about the dimensional thing what do, what, what do you think about that um okay and, and the, this is the question itself right well uh as far as as far as interdimensional i i think there is a a possibility that there are uh dimensions uh, hyperspace for instance is one you might consider a dimension um we to my knowledge don't have technology to be able to access that uh i i certainly believe there are dimensions higher than the three that we normally exist in and the time i guess the four we normally exist in um so um the trouble is being you know limited to our four dimensions you know you think of a two-dimensional object is it aware that there are three dimensions you know is a is a if if there was uh a, say a living circle that, that existed on on paper you know only in the flat world could it even perceive something that was in 3d so i think we're in that situation where i don't believe we can perceive things outside of the four dimensions we live in so um J james as a guy that is a contract for NASA. You have to be careful when you say the flat world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah, there is. I that. just want to put that out there because they'll eat you alive with the, with the flat Earth uh, community. Yeah, no, no, for that one. We, we've we've known the Earth was rat was spherical since uh, Eratosthenes, I think. Uh, you know, he was able to actually not only know that it was round, but actually measure it within a few hundred meters of the correct uh, diameter. You know, uh, just using a stick and sunlight. So, yeah, we 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 know it's round. We've known it's round for millennia. Do you know any flat earthers that work for NASA? No. Are they allowed? <laughs> I think it'd be a hard sell during an interview. <laughs> there was a guy who said, uh, we have the technology to take E.T. home. Where's that home? <laughs> Is anyone? That's for you. NASA guy. Question. Can you uh, hear me? Is this thing on? That was the Lockheed uh, Martin guy, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Paul, somebody or other. He, he, he was quote misquoted, apparently. But, oh, uh, he was. Yeah. Yeah. No, I uh, I am not aware of the uh, of that particular uh, quote, but um, huh. I don't. Uh, the closest thing we could do at this point. Um, there's some there's some um, gravitational acceleration, you know, just by using gravity swing bys of various planets. There's all sorts of crazy ideas on on future propulsion. Uh, one of them would be, you know, uh, a nuclear electric rocket that uh, you, you basically have um, uh, any kind of um, a reactor on board. May, you know, could be fusion. Uh, but you know, even if we just limit it to text we have today, um, fission, uh, then you would accelerate, um, large molecules like, um, xenon, you strip an electron off of it and accelerate that out the back. And, uh, you don't get very much thrust out of doing that, but the, uh, long-term acceleration is not terribly limited. So you might be able to get, um, maybe a 10th of uh, the speed of light or something out of that. And uh, eventually you, if you know, we could get to say Proxima Centauri, um, but that would be, you know, like a 45 year trip rather than a four and a half year trip, which light takes four and a half years roughly to get to Proxima Centauri, get to us from Proxima Centauri or vice versa. So um, wherever a, wherever ET is from, if it, if it happened to be say Proxima B, which we think might actually be habitable, uh, then, you know, we're looking at 45, 50 years, maybe, uh, but we've never actually tried to build anything like that. So. Are you familiar with the Oumuamua, the interstellar object? Mm -hmm. What do you think? Uh, Cause Avi Loeb, that Harvard uh, professor guy thinks it might be, one of those light sailed use, using alien ships or something. I mean, do you know any more about that? Is Was that just a weird rock that had weird, uh, you know, reaction to our sun where it sped up and should have slowed down and vice versa? I'm of the opinion it's a weird rock that, uh, like you said, that had an odd reaction. I think maybe, you know, volatiles uh, exploding off the surface. Uh, as it, because you know, I don't know what kind of things you would collect in deep space, that, because or, because vacuum is never a vacuum, right? So if it's mm -hmm. been in deep space uh, between solar systems for 
thousands of years, how many, uh, how much uh, material would have collected on the surface there that's just kind of loosely gathered due to gravity, uh, uh, you know, at the surface. And once it gets into the, into the field of the sunlight, um, you know, the sun dominates this part of space. I mean, absolutely dominates this part of space. So, um, you know, if, you, if you're looking at it strictly from a gravity vector, mm-hmm. uh, it did some unusual things. But if you start thinking about well, what kind of volatiles were off-gassing off of it, and they wouldn't be visible necessarily to us, so we wouldn't be able to see that, or and would, certainly we didn't have enough time to observe it to figure out what kind of mass change might have happened. Uh, so, yeah, I think there's... Hmm a dozen possible explanations along those lines. Um, but could it, could there be an intelligence behind it, you think, or is it just a rock? I'm of the opinion. It's just a rock. Now I believe there are, this is going to get philosophical here. I believe there are alien intelligences. I'm a little dubious that they've ever visited us uh, directly. Now, perhaps a probe or something like that, that you could send long range. Uh, maybe. Uh, but for whatever reason, we must be on a communications blackout because we have not received <laughs> radio signals of any kind, which seems like a big oversight if you were looking for other cultures. Uh, I mean, we've certainly sent out signals to uh, toward Alpha Centauri and toward other star systems, uh, the the Arecibo Code, and and uh, so. But that's if they're using the same technology, advancing at the same rate, maybe. And I mean, the odds of that are super slim. Wouldn't you agree with that? That's true. That's true. Um, But we're not just looking in a typical radio frequency. We're looking across the whole spectrum that we know of, of electromagnetic spectrum, and looking for odd spikes. So, you know, that's what SETI does. And, and, uh, you know, I used to have SETI at home installed on my computer because I'm I'm 100% behind trying to find alien life, but uh, um, <laughs> but on the other hand, uh, it is either either they are so far advanced we can't detect them, or they are purposely uh, through some sort of uh, prime directive type setup uh, putting us in a communications blackout zone so we can't detect them and thereby be altered have our course of history altered by knowing they exist and that that that's a maybe a plausible solution there's many yeah yeah i mean i know that star trek the prime directive uh but that would make complete sense for any other civilization not to mess with hope, yeah. anybody right. who because I, I i would hope if we went out there we wouldn't do an avatar and just go and mine it the shit out of that planet <laughs> uh you know i would well, let's I would, hope I, yeah. we, we probably would let's let's i mean we're humans we're very selfish creatures um says you but yeah but let's let, let, but let's face it though the vast majority of rocks in space are just that they're 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 dead there's nothing on them so why would you go after the you know one habited planet and strip mine that when you could just go get asteroids that nobody cares about mm-hmm. and strip mine the heck out of them and nobody will care no Unless one will fight you and and, and the gravity well i mean the asteroids have virtually no gravity well so so 
mining them and then bringing the material back here is a much simpler process than trying to get it, say, up off of the moon even or Mars. Um, you know, mining asteroids is, is definitely the way to go. And a suitably advanced race might be able to just collect uh, elements as they come off um, off uh, exploding stars and things like that. They just need to capture it. True. To uh, to turn this around into the UFO again, are you yeah. familiar with the STS mission where the tether broke off and there were all these things floating around it years ago in the 90s? Yeah, you're talking about the electrodynamic uh, tether experiment, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The exact name of it. But yeah, they they were trying to uh, generate electricity uh, by uh, taking a a weight on one end across a tether uh, back to the the shuttle. And Hmm. um, so the idea would be that you have this long electrified cable moving through the magnetic field. And you can use that to generate power, kind of like what we do with a motor uh, or a generator, which is, you know, you move them uh, windings through a magnetic field to generate electricity. So same concept. Uh, but those objects, were they ice crystals all around it that kind of looked, I think it was out of focus, but they looked like discs with a little Pac-Man mouth cut out of it, it's sort of. Yeah, I've seen the picture and like I, I don't know. I mean, uh Maybe. Uh, I mean, I, I would think that uh, the idea of like an electrical discharge would be pretty, um, uh, pretty unusual. Uh, but um, ice, I suppose, could have built up. Um, I, I, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of free flight of uh, free floating elements. So one of the things when we have the ISS we have to deal with uh, free atomic oxygen. So, uh, for instance, and atomic oxygen, uh, you know, instead of we, what we breathe down here is O2. Up there, it's just O. And it's much more reactive uh, than just O2. Um, and so it, it will erode away plastics. Uh, silver turns to oxide, black oxide powder. Um, so we have lots of coatings that have to be put on things and um, it's, it's, it, you can't put any exterior Velcro that's not, you know, protected somehow by some beta cloth or whatever. Um, so it's possible there was some kind of chemical reaction, uh, that caused, a fl- you know, some flare ups, especially with, uh, you know, that metal as it's, as it's expanding and snapping, you know, could release some energy there, mm. uh, you know, maybe, maybe welded, uh, Little, little droplets of metal as they as they you know melt and and fly out it's hard to know i've just realized i'm probably gonna have to change the thumbnail and the title of the video because it, 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 but which, which is absolutely fine but I, i've got to ask this question because i always hear people saying how is the so you worked on the the iss uh-huh. how is that thing still there so all the little teen I, I mean you will have a genuine answer for this so <laughs> but everybody so i remember when that little tiny uh piece of something had hit and they were doing all that work and they had to, you saw them pulling all the pieces out mm-hmm. to try and get that tiny hole on there right well, right right but 
a lot of people that are, that disbelieve that this thing is there, which I've got a good friend who's an astronomer that has shown me this thing, shoot oh, yeah. past, the, past the moon within literally a nanosecond. It's, it's there, and he's a great astro- astronomer. He's right, actually right. linked in the featured channels. Uh, go check him out, people. But there's a lot of people that think it, that nobody's up there and the, and that you guys, well, they're, not you, but they're actually underwater. Uh-huh. So that, so how would you answer somebody who's engineered this, the, the space the space station when somebody said that that thing wouldn't last, it would not last in there, it would get destroyed by little tiny pieces of rock? Okay, so there's this really neat invention called a Whipple shield. And what you have is a on the outside of the metallic, uh, the cans, the, the pressure vessels, you have a one layer that is a very thin sacrificial layer around the outside. And then you have the much heavier inner shell that is the pressure vessel, right? So people live on this side. There's vacuum mostly between this uh, outer uh, sacrificial layer and the, the metal. So what happens is if you've seen, um, you've seen bullets hit something, you've, you've probably seen the videos of something like this. When it hits that first piece of material, it spreads out into a nice cone and each individual element. So it's basically largely vaporized, but there's still obviously material there. And that material is going at the same energy that it was before, but now it's spread out across all of these tiny little pieces. And so with these tiny little pieces impact essentially a much larger surface area on the inside, they have, they don't have enough energy to penetrate it. That is that is the whole point of a, a Whipple shield. It's not the only type of micrometeoroid uh, uh, debris protection that we have, but that is the big one, um, and that 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 is very very effective. Is that the same for when they're working out in the spacesuits? If they get hit by something on the spacesuit, are they are they kind of like? I'm going to have to go back inside and sort this out. If they were to be hit with something, yes, you would have to go back inside and sort it out. Uh, there's, um, so first of all, they present a much smaller target, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the spacesuits themselves are multiple layers. Uh, I'm not super familiar with the, with the layup, but it's, uh, when you have multiple layers like that, you get an effect that something like a Whipple shield, not as not as rigid and not as good, uh, but it does have some extra protection along those lines. Um, so, uh, I think uh, number one, we've been relatively lucky that we've not had any real debris impacts that I'm aware of. Um, and honestly, in the low Earth orbit, your problem is more from uh, space junk orbital what we call orbital debris than uh from micrometeoroids themselves so the good news about that is the speed is generally lower because it's just orbital velocity as opposed to something like oumuamua for instance which came in at just crazy high speeds way way higher than than you would have uh for just earth orbit um so you know typically we're just you know, 17,000 miles an hour is still very fast for, but that's your typical orbital uh, velocity around the orbit of space stations. So um, you're not going to see 
uh, as much of a problem. And usually our debris, even we track uh, debris and actually the space station does debris avoidance maneuvers. Uh, if there's anything large enough to be tracked that we know is on a, a collision course. So uh, they will temporarily lower their altitude or um, raise their altitude, depending on what's the best maneuver to make. Um, and that has the effect of, you know, when you lower your altitude, you actually speed up. And when you raise your altitude, you slow down. Um, and so um, that's, you know, that gives you that net effect of, of you know, say, you hit the brakes a little bit so that the thing will pass you instead of hitting you. Yeah. Yeah, that's that. the idea. Mm, okay. So hit the we, hit the brakes, you'll fly right by. Right. So anything that's big that we know about, and we track things down to, uh, um, I can't remember the exact number. I want to say, I want to say it's uh, uh, around down to four inches, I think, in diameter. So wow. we're tracking every little tiny piece of, of these you know where we know a satellite has exploded uh, there's been a missile test or something like that where we know these debris fields are so um uh, we're typically aware of the debris in time to avoid it like for instance when the russians uh, shot down their own satellite um mm -hmm. this was back uh, what about two years ago something like that and we had to do a debris avoidance maneuver we, even though there were russian you know cosmonauts on board the station and they they did it in an orbit that they knew could potentially intersect the ISS, um, which you know, everybody was like, what are you doing? You idiots. Uh, when they did it, you know, that's that was our general opinion at NASA anyway, or at least with the people around me, not NASA's opinion. Okay. So again, just my opinion. Uh, but it was, uh, it was, uh, you know, they, they had to go uh, to safe havens just in case uh, with safe haven means get in your crew return vehicle. So if you came up on a Soyuz, you get back in the Soyuz. If you came up on a crew dragon, you get back into crew dragon, just in case that even though with the debris avoidance and everything else, you still hit something, you know, you're in the safe haven and you can just, you know, jet back to the earth. So um, uh, that that's how they handle it. We, we take a lot of risks and we've been uh, exceptionally lucky not to have any more debris hits than we have. So, now you can see some sections. Uh, there's there's one uh, near the end of the Canada arm, the, uh, the 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 arm that does all the maneuvering and yep. things. There's a there's a there's a chunk out of the uh, one of the debris shields on the side of that uh, that you can occasionally see in a shot. Uh, that was a micrometeoroid hit. Nothing we can do about it. It's just gone, right? <laughs> so yeah, I mean. To slightly bring it on track with what we originally talked about with the project. Can, can we not for a second? I, yeah, because we'll, we'll come back. One... I, do, I do want to ask him a, tre a trekkie question, though. Yeah, I've got an, uh, an a ISS thing trekkie. before we yeah, go any them. further. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. To preface, right before I say this, yeah, I'm not a flat earther, but yes, I do is. think I do think there's elements within that conspiracy that people have clicked on to and like two and twos come up with 17. Uh, okay. So I know the ISS is up there. I have I've see, seen it up there. I know there's some, something up there and there's something going on. What do you make of clearly fake footage from inside the ISS? Because there's, 
been numerous videos that you, we can pull up and look at all day long uh, that I've shown to um, friends that work in media, in graphic design, and in television. That and they're they're not conspiracy theorists, and they said, "Look, that's that's a layer. That's that's a layer failing." In that the the two that it, that come to mind, especially, is the um, the one where you have the three people on the ISS and the layer of them pixelates and all goes into one before the feed goes where the where the back layer of that stays as a static image. And the most interesting one for me is the one which shows a guy floating down the corridor and through a door, but he disappears a foot before the door as it goes through. And there's no like there's there's no reasonable explanation for that apart from it was done in After Effects. And I I don't I I don't know where to put myself with that stuff. It's augmented reality, right? I mean, what well, it, 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 I mean, it could be, but it shouldn't be. I'm not familiar with the ones you're talking about specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen hours and hours of footage, and I'll confident in that uh, mm-hmm. of actual people on the space station so uh i'm pretty comfortable with my hours oh. and hours of footage i'm sure uh, there's people up there don't get don't get me wrong i'm sure there's people up there but what i'm confused fused with is why some of the stuff isn't real uh i i honestly don't have an answer for you because uh there wouldn't be a good rationale for faking anything like that Mm -hmm. so i agree with you there if someone you know is is looking at it and seeing something that they believe is fake then Mm -hmm. uh, uh i can't uh i can't fathom why you know nasa or any other space agency would want to do that because you know it only hurts their credibility if that was yeah so, hopefully, hopefully next time if you if 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 you if you're on here again and we know you're coming on, I'll make sure that we have that clip ready okay. because the the um the guy disappearing before the hatch is it's pretty fucking wild. Right? I'm gonna have to look that one up because because yeah. that does sound interesting. So mm-hmm. either that or none of us are real, and we're all just Elon Musk is right, and we're just a. We're just a we're just a computer just a program. Just we're a all glitching. The, <laughs> the, the problem is these guys are that far up. They're you, they're on the edge of the kind of like the program. So sometimes uh, it glitches out. Gotcha. I mean, you never know. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, it, it would be a I, I can uh, James. I could I could you would be pretty pissed off if you built that thing. You'd engineered that thing, mm. and it was empty. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I would definitely would be all that hard work. <laughs> Just what, what, where, where are they? No, I, I mean, I know what I know. What Lee's talking about, though, it, it is very strange. I think Lee, me, and you have both. We both spoke about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I always, I always talk about. You know, I don't know why they need to make a big deal about the wavy hair that goes everywhere. I would, I would think the sensible thing to do if you've got really long hair, put it in a bun because yeah. that's going to get caught in the electrics. I think that's, that's a little that, bit. That's what all the girls do, but they, they may do it for the, per, the 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 lady astronauts. They may do that uh, 
you know, like for a demo for the kids when, you know, cause they do a lot of, uh, uh, astronauts get to play, um, uh, public ambassadors a lot. And so, um, I know I've seen them. I've seen, uh, I think Sunita Williams specifically, uh, undo her hair just for the purpose of showing what it would look like to the, to the young ladies who might be watching, you know, from her K 12, K through 12, uh, whatever broadcast. So, um, you know, that kind of thing. They should, they should do a NASA should do a Vidal Sassoon advert. You know, the, do, you, <laughs> do you guys get that in the States? The Vidal Sassoon? Yeah. It's worth it. Yeah. They should yeah. do it. Definitely. That's funny. Yeah. Um, Rich, you were, you were, you were, you was really, I can, I could see you were eager to ask some more UFO questions for the NASA guy. Uh, no, I, you know, I can't remember at this moment uh, what it was. Because we was talking about the Tic Tac mm-hmm. and we were, and we've been talking a lot about the threat that is all over the news when it comes to, well, your your news not uk news we have no idea over here because nobody talks about ufos in the uk <laughs> seems to be all in the states uh, but... maybe we have more nutters over here <laughs> <laughs> well that's what my dad would say and he's, he may be watching this because he because he, he he loves a bit of nasa um but yeah i i mean it is weird and we spoke about this many a times that in the UK we get none of this, none of the UFO stuff. Base all you guys over there. Um, do you do you do you ever see them in the sky yourself, James? Do you ever see these UFOs? I have certainly seen things in the sky I couldn't identify, but that doesn't, uh, you know, because we just use that term for anything that can't be identified. Uh, I I. I won't say they couldn't be identified just that I looked at them and didn't know right that moment what it was. Uh, you know, I might have a supposition that it was uh, a satellite passing over, for instance. Uh, but um, I, I I don't think I've witnessed anything that couldn't be explained. I'll, I'll go with that. Not personally. Is that one of the things that NASA tells you to say? no no believe it or not i have uh, i don't think i've ever been told uh don't say flat earth don't say we never went to the moon and don't say ufo that 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 has not come up in a in a a topic of conversation i mean i've said many many times when it comes to to flat earth i know I, i i you guys don't have a guy that that is in the business of nasa that's like elon musk but I would have think, I would think with Elon Musk's sense of humor, you see the guy on Twitter and what have you, mm. that he's got this rocket that he's building. Why does he not get the biggest flat earther and just put him on board and fly him around the moon? You know that. And and then when he comes back and he just goes, still flat. I've been in a simulation. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's probably what would happen, and, and yeah. so I, I was almost no point, right? Uh, unfortunately, uh, um, what's it the, the the guy that decided he was going to fly his own rocket? Uh, it was a daredevil, Mike, mm-hmm. Mike something. Yeah, God bless yeah. Him. Mm. 
Yeah, unfortunately, he, he, uh, he you know, I guess he knows now for sure. Uh, but, um, you know, yeah, I, I think uh, I'm sad that he didn't make it up because uh, I think he would have had a good insight. Mm. Yeah. I don't think he ever got high enough, did he, to uh, to, to see the curvature? Yeah. No, no. Yeah, it was hardly high enough. And I, I don't know that he would have ever, but, uh, mm. you know, that's still kind of tragic for him, you know, because Daredevil and all, you still don't like yeah. to see people, you know, knocking themselves no, 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 off no. by accident. Yeah. So, I've got a lot of respect for somebody like that. that you, right. You know, that, that for, you know, I think it's flat. So I'm going to build a rocket and I'm going to find out myself. Right. I don't wow. actually think he was a flat earther, you know. I think that the I know that was that was the way that that story was sort of angled. But I think yeah. he he was just into doing amateur rocketry and because of the whole flat earth thing that was around, there was a group of flat earthers funded that particular thing and part of the funding was sticking the sticker on the side of it. So I I don't sure. actually think he was a flat right. earther. But, uh, I think not, you're right not, about not that. that. It matters now. <laughs> True enough. True enough. Rest in peace. So, so going back to the Amuamua thing, uh, you, you did mention that that it was a rock, mm. and I'm inclined to uh, agree. But there's been a back and forth between the. Uh, uh, so obviously, it was RV Loeb that uh, controversially. Uh, stated that uh, because of its uh, change in velocity once it got past uh, uh, the sun, that that uh, said that it could be some kind of light sail, and because of its reflective nature, you know, mm -hmm. uh, which is fine. Um, and then I think I think there was a load of guys that went away, and I think they worked for about three years. They came back with the idea that because of its reflectiveness, because of its shape that it's most likely to be a big lump of frozen nitrogen uh, and that would be outgassing as mm. as it went near the sun you know and that would explain the change in velocity etc mm -hmm. um, but avi loeb actually quite publicly shot that down what he seemed to say was that that nitrogen because of their modeling of the galaxy that nitrogen wouldn't exist in that kind of form uh, in those amounts, and I don't see anybody has come back to him with that. But he's he's he he just said that it wasn't. It was definitely not a nitrogen uh, berg, if you like. That's what he used. Um, have Have you heard anybody come back to him and say yes, it is? I, I have not heard that that that, that someone re refuted it, but uh, I, I, you know, I personally don't see why it couldn't be. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, if if nothing else, uh, you know, if it was a piece of a something else that was larger that had exploded, like we could have a nitrogen iceberg or something like on a planet that was primarily nitrogen, didn't have uh, like we have here, if if the temperature was cold enough we could certainly freeze some nitrogen into, into some ice. Um, you know, if, if something like that were to happen and then there was a huge meteorite impact that knocks a big chunk off into space that, you know, of course would initially vaporize and then reform perhaps. Uh, I don't see there's, that there's any reason to preclude uh, a chunk of material like that. 
Um, and even if it wasn't, well, let's just say it's all solid nitrogen. You know, my, my previous assessment of there's no telling what it collected in the interim thousands of years while it's moving through the void uh, that, you know, couldn't have off gassed off uh, in a similar fashion. So um, also highly reflective surfaces do make uh, in, you know, good solar sails. Uh, and that if, if he's saying that it's responding to light pressure, then any highly reflective surface of the appropriate surface area would respond to the light pressure and consequently have a change in velocity just due to light pressure um, from the sun, even without yeah. volatiles yeah. off gassing. Yeah, it seems to have happened to uh, uh, an old uh, discarded NASA rocket, didn't it? There was uh, there was something to do with that as well. So yeah. I remember that. Yep. Yeah. It was yeah. a S4B upper stage, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, when we talk about faster than light travel mm -hmm. uh, and if if extraterrestrials are, are coming here uh, and to get here they would have to either bend space and time or go way way over you know warp nine or whatever to get here right right where is nasa when it comes to that technology and I, I I don't know how much you may may even know about this, but going at that sort of speed when it comes to hitting these tiny little bits of rock. That's that is certainly one of the issues that would that that would come up. Now, um the things that I've seen, um and, and I asked that because of how the aliens are actually getting here, if they're right. getting here at all. Right. How are they not hitting debris at some point? And, uh, you know, one might assume that they do what you have in, uh, in Star Trek is the navigational deflector, right? Uh, which uh, basically acts like a bow shock that just sort of pushes uh, everything out of their way as they move. So that's, that, that's how they handle it, you know, in Star Trek. Uh, I don't see why you wouldn't have something along those lines doing something similar. It, of course, projecting that out to um, some distance would be kind of you know, hard to follow, but uh, because anything you project out presumably wouldn't be going faster than the speed of light. And yet you are. So, you know, you're passing your own beam. And so there, there's a little flaw in that uh, philosophy. And if you go in the next generation, they're more into uh, the warp bubble effect, right? So they're not moving through space, but the bubble is. And the bubble is impervious to things like that because they're just going to move around it, right? They're just, they've got this little pocket of not space that's moving through space and everything around it just warps out of the way, right? So, and they can move that pocket of space as fast as they want. It, so. Could that mode of travel be... Um, I don't, dangerous to space itself, like creating all this uh, disturbance just so we could travel? Kind of like waves on an ocean. I mean, does it interrupt something? Like a butterfly net, Rich. Guess that? we'll have to find out when we do it. I just always <laughs> wondered if that was a possibility. I, I know sure you're saying, Rich. Theoretical like, physics out there, right? About it, but but I, I'm not aware of it. So. 
Yeah, I wonder if it creates some sort of, you know, ripple effect. You know, everybody's, you know, like like on water is what I'm trying to imagine it like. You're kind well, of talking about the butterfly yeah. effect, Rich, aren't you? The, like of, you, of the you, actual you do, space, yeah. yeah. Well, we have, the, we have the uh, uh, LIGO detectors, don't we, which are uh, um, uh, detectors set up to uh, pick up uh, uh, warps in space-time due to cataclysmic events uh, mm -hmm. a, a long way away. Mm -hmm. uh, supposedly, these things happen all the time, and, and we don't really notice them. They have to be incredibly sensitive to pick it up. Right. Uh, so I get it. So. But so if you wanted to push a ship using this, the, the, the amount of energy and force that you would need to build something that was as big as a ship to put it in and move it must be, you know, huge. Absolutely. That's why they had to have antimatter to make it work. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, speaking of antimatter, um, there is a, there is a very a couple of fascinating drive technologies which might actually be reasonably achievable. Uh, the one I like the best uh, is uh, Positron Dynamics. Um, they, they are using, uh, there's, um, uh, you know, we use a, a radioisotope to do um, PET scans, which are also done with positrons. So they're, they're planning to use basically a, uh, a radioactive isotope that emits positrons and using the positrons in a beam to destabilize um, fusion, uh, uh, well, sorry, destabilize fission material. And then the fission material will then, uh, you know, explode and collapse a, a few a deuterium ball and, and create fusion. So you get these little micro fusion events, uh, which are, massively energetic and all of it is caused by basically destabilizing it using a tiny little piece little positron or two so so how are we generating those positrons do they take up does it take a lot of energy to do well like i said they're they're, they're using the uh, radioactive isotope that just decays as it's as it's decay it gets emitting positrons and we do this today with pet scans so it's not new tech it's just, would you have, you'd have to be able to concentrate it and direct it and, and do enough of it to make all this happen. So, and then of course you have to figure out how to deal with, you know, little fusion bombs going off in your combustion chamber. So that's probably the harder engineering challenge than, you know, focusing positrons. So, because since they have a positive charge, you can focus them with an electric field. There's bound to be a way to do it. It does require a lot of electricity on board to just just to do the focusing and handling that. But if you can uh, harvest any of the energy from the fusion reactions that are going on in the in the combustion chamber, then you, you have a practically unlimited source of of energy there. Um, still limited by how much you know fusion fuel you have. And like I said, it has radio. It has a fissionable material outside of it. So then you have to you know these pellets that are um, basically frozen deuterium covered with uranium maybe 238 or something which would not normally be visible but when you destabilize it with a positron you can still cause fission you know so okay it's kind of interesting no, no, a, yeah. oh go ahead i'm sorry no sorry go for it no you first <laughs> <laughs> Should we rock paper scissors for it? I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. Yeah, I'm gonna go. Yeah, yeah. I thought you'd fall asleep. 
No, man. I think I got COVID again. I don't feel well. But, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I really wanted to stick around because, you know, James coming on and we have a mutual friend and I want to make sure he, he felt comfortable. But, uh, James, I have a well, bit it, of. It, it, you know, it's, it's good, Blackstar, because now the chat doesn't know you're full of shit. No, no, they, I, I, I'm definitely full of shit. Always assume that at all times. Never think of telling the truth. Uh, it just makes it easier for me to amaze you. But, um, so James, I have a bit of uh, Star Trek trivia because I know you're a fan and you clearly said you're a fan. Uh, Kess used to live behind me from Star Trek Voyager. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, I mean, not not the young, hot Kess from the show. She was, life had, life had really worn her down and I kind of wish she lived somewhere else for a while. And she used to fight the cops nude a lot. Uh, wasn't a real high That's point in her life. <laughs> I, I, totally off topic. Just figure I'd throw that out. Uh, and uh, Rich, figure out who's going to go first. You guys have a good time. <laughs> I just saw a question in the chat room for Ian McFadden. James, who gave NASA the green light to bomb the moon? And should we nuke Mars? Uh, well, I'm not 100 percent sure who the where the uh, um, you know, the actual decision came from, but I mean, uh, what we did was a relatively uh, low uh, power uh, overall. You know, you're just basically uh, impacting uh, upper stages, purposely impacting stages into the uh, into the moon to release volatiles. Uh, like uh, water, hopefully we'd find water that way. And then you can, um, and that's actually how we verified that there is water in the South Pole of the moon uh, was, uh, I forget, uh, the Chandrayaan-1, which was the first Indian uh, orbiter of the moon, uh, was taking imagery uh, of an impactor that that, uh, we put out. And so that, you know, the impact hit the crater, the volatiles came up, they were able to, you know, analyze those gases with spectro- uh, spectrography, get my words right, spectrography. Anyway, um, and, um, you know, tell that it did have, you know, water vapor in that, in that mix. So, um, at this point, it's like, you know, how much, you know, permission do you need because nobody lives there, nobody has ownership, uh, so you don't have to go to you know international treaty and you know or, or ask forgiveness from the UN for doing it. It's uh, scientific purposes, and nobody was hurting in the process. So uh, I I, uh, I assume it was uh, you know orig- eventually uh, rubber stamped by the uh, NASA administrator, whoever was the admin at that time. Uh, probably Dan Golden back then. Um, but anyway, uh, as far as why don't we nuke Mars, um, the amount of energy that you could release, even with our biggest nuclear weapons, wouldn't uh, wouldn't have any persistent effect, I believe, on, on Mars. We, Mars has 1% of the atmosphere of the Earth, and it's virtually all carbon dioxide, so... It's 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 one percent of what we have on on Earth. So if you're trying to you know nuke Mars with the idea that you can, you know, thicken up the atmosphere and have this you know uh, runaway greenhouse effect or whatever that that warms the planet, 
I, I'm not convinced that that can work, uh, especially not with just, you know, a dozen, maybe let's say we take a dozen of our biggest thermonuclear weapons, which, you know, in the, in the megatons and, and somehow get them to Mars, which of course is pretty problematic. Uh, you know, you would, you would release more energy, honestly, uh, by probably by tweaking an asteroid to slam into into Mars and that kind of thing actually happens fairly often you know on the grand scheme of things and yet Mars still only has 1% of Earth, of Earth's atmosphere so i think there's a i think the issue there is there's just not the the magnetic field isn't strong enough to um reflect to deflect the solar wind and the solar wind erodes away uh, the the um, uh, gases that do off gas over time, and so I, I don't know that we'll ever get to a point where we have more than that without setting up uh, uh, some kind of deflector between the sun and Mars for that purpose. And I have seen some um, I have seen some some work on that um, setting up in the uh, L two position between uh, the sun and Mars. Uh, and, you know, it's a relatively stable gravitation point and uh, having a, a large electromagnetic shield to basically help diffuse the solar wind and maybe allow uh, uh, Mars to repopulate its its atmosphere over time. So. so what do you make of Elon's vision for Mars? Because he's he's the guy that seems to be the the one that is pulling out all the stops when it comes to getting us to Mars on there. Uh, is it, is it starship? Is that what he's called? He's always called starship, it. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a hundred percent behind this. I mean, I think, uh, I think starships a, a great, uh, a great rocket. Uh, it, you know, like I said, they've, they've handled some of the things that, uh, you know, we, we typically design spacecraft in aluminum and he says, well, why are we doing aluminum? Why don't we just do stainless steel? Because it's, it's, got all of these better properties, you know, and so, you know, and they're making trade-offs like uh, they can't get nearly as much payload to orbit uh, because they are, uh, have to keep so much fuel behind in order to land, but they make that same trade-off with Falcon 9 for, for launches. So um, Starship's got, got all, all sorts of things going for it. Uh, it does have to be refueled in orbit in order to do these uh, Mars missions and it's still going to be lengthy and it's still going to be dangerous and it's, but there will be people who will want to do it. Uh, and, and I do believe it can be done. Um, and that maybe SpaceX along with, um, you know, I, I can't believe that if SpaceX can demonstrate they can do it, that NASA and ESA and JAXA and maybe even the Chinese Space Agency and the Indian Space Agency won't want to jump on this mm -hmm. and get in. So it's never going to be, you know, Elon taking a bunch of billionaires to Mars. First of all, most billionaires probably don't want to go and have a comfortable life here. Why, why risk it all to, to go to Mars? Uh, maybe a few. But um, uh, but I think that uh, once it's been demonstrated that it can be done, 
everybody, you know, all country wise and, and probably a lot of private organizations that have the cash will be, you know, wanting to jump in here and get involved. And at that point it becomes uh, an inevitability. To, 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 to put the record straight for, for you're an engineer. Uh-huh. Yep. And you know about space. So space is my hobby as well as my job. I studied space long before I became an engineer. So, yeah. And we're talking about Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. And he put something in space that a lot of people were saying that thing could not go in space without its tires exploding. And uh, so so what? what <laughs> when you saw the car launch into space and you must have seen the, 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 the meme it, you know it looks you know it's you know it's real because it looks fake or whatever he said i can't remember what he said yeah um but the car in space uh is is that pos is that well obviously it's possible but well i mean it's it's not going to be a it's not going to be a functional vehicle afterwards uh and i'm sure they had to strip it down and take the batteries out of it and uh because the batteries of course weigh a lot and they're prone to you know have little micro explosions or whatever because they're sort of pressurized with the liquid that's inside um i believe he made a big point about saying no it's just it's, it's one of us so he really things. didn't do anything else that's it okay i i i liam all right by that did he say this? yeah yeah so I, the the two things that got me was the i would have thought if you stuck a a wheel into space something would have happened vacuum wise and the extreme temperatures with paint, I'd have thought it should have gone. Oh, I'm sure the paint well. is gone by now. But so there's not that much as far as extreme temperature going up. Um, over time, you get exposure because of radiation with the sun. Um, but you know, uh, and, and you know, you you do a roll to try to uh, ameliorate. We we even do that with uh, some of our current vehicles. You you. You, you roll to try to uh, never have the same side facing the sun mm -hmm. constantly because then that way you ameliorate the, uh, the temperature gradient over time. But um, as far as the tires go, the, you know, there's only 14 PSI difference between uh, being on the ground and being in space. Right. So, you know, at earth sea level is 14.7 PSI, you know, one atmosphere or whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm no good with the, uh, metric units unfortunately i'm sure there's a number of pascals that that is but um anyway um so it, it, there, there's not ex you know space doesn't suck as much as atmosphere blows right <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if you put 30 psi in a tire on the ground and then you take it to space it's effectively got 45 psi 47 psi now across the rubber uh, pressing out on the rubber. So you could have that in a tire without go anything going. Yeah. Tire to probably 45, 47, maybe even 50 PSI on the in ground. In a vacuum? Really? Yeah, because of, because a vacuum, like I said, is just the lack of atmosphere, right? Down here, we have 14.7 PSI. So in orbit, you have effectively zero. So the delta P across the, the change in pressure.